Well done. We were doing well. We got seven episodes without really having to talk about VAR. But almost inevitably, they went and screwed it up. Yep, VAR back like an ex-girlfriend for pregnancy test. We've got <laughs> the, to talk about it again. Oh, it's... I think we're just going to have to get straight into the Prem, aren't we? Yep, let's get right to it. As always, I'm Ross Evans, my co-host is Dan Newton. It's episode eight. Let's do it. Right, so let's just talk about the scores first, then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. Start off with Saturday's Merseyside derby. Everton, luckily, coming away with a 2-2 draw. Yep, which I correctly predicted. Yeah. Although, I will hold my hands up and say, it shouldn't have been 2-2. It shouldn't no. be free to Liverpool, but uh, I did technically get it right. Well, we'll uh, stay away from the VAR for now. We'll yeah. get on to VAR a little later on. What do you think of the game? Did you watch the game? I did watch it. Yeah, it, it was a it was a good game actually. Um, you know, I always find the Merseyside derbies at um, Goodison Park are very boring. Usually, it's normally a nil nil or something. But uh, no, it's just two good teams that can't really defend that well right now. Kind of going at it. And yeah, it, very entertaining. Yeah, um, so we'll talk about the moments, and then we'll talk, as we said, we'll talk about VAR later. Um, first big one was Pickford on uh, Van Dyke. Yeah. What do you think is going through Pickford's head at that point? Um, not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> well, I, I think I mean he's just going out to try and smother the ball, isn't he? You know, I, I don't think he is trying to hurt Van Dyke, but he's just done a Pickford and just thrown himself out there yeah. not thought about what he's doing and made a real hash of it yeah should he have seen a red card I know there was not offside yeah. call yeah because Van Dijk was offside that, that's yeah. why there was no penalty but um, for me I, I think that's that's got to yeah. be a red card you know I mean in the last couple of hours it's been reported that he won't see any retrospective action either so he has got away with it so I mean, would you would you have liked to have seen retrospective action for such a dangerous um, challenge? Not uh, not retrospective action. Um, I just like to see the refs make the right decisions. Uh, to be honest, I think that that's more important. Uh, you know, it should have been a red card. You know, if the ref blows the whistle and you go and slide tackle someone in the middle of the pitch and break their leg, you get a red card. You know, just because he's a goalkeeper and it's like an offside. It's, yeah. It doesn't change it for me, you know. It's a clear red, it's dangerous, it's reckless. He should have been off. And, um, yeah, that, that, if they make the right decision on the day, then we don't have to have this conversation about yeah. retrospective action. Yeah, and then we saw, and it's been confirmed now, that Van Dyke is out for up to eight months with an ACL injury. Yeah. Um, that's terrible news for Liverpool, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a huge blow. Um, he's a huge reason of why they've gone from kind of you know, nearly getting to Type 2 actually winning it. And yeah. um, it'd be fascinating to see how Liverpool deal with it. Maybe in January they have to go in for a new centre-back. Yeah. But, um, yeah, with Alisson out injured as well, they look really shaky at the back. Yeah. And, you know, and then... Fucking hell, it's it's depressing <laughs> as a Liverpool fan. It's It really does feel like they're going to struggle. Um, yeah. I mean, they've not had the greatest of starts so far. You know, the Villa yeah. game and... Yeah, which I mean, is a disaster. Second in the league, three points behind Everton. Still not terrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as you say, might have to sign a new centre back. But as we've already discussed, Man City found difficulties with signing a top class centre back, and certainly the price tag that comes along with a top top centre back. Yeah. That's going to be with Liverpool's spending strategy. I don't think yeah. we'll was see it, a f- top 
replacement. For their finances, it's going to be tricky to really yeah. go out and get someone. I know I've heard talk of Upamecano from Leipzig, maybe. Yeah. But he's been linked to every sort of top club, yeah. it feels like. So if that's real or not, I, I think they do need to get someone in who can you know, be a top-level centre-back. Yeah. And sort of the final big moment does we saw for Everton, from Everton's perspective, was uh, Richarlison sending off. Yeah. Again, for me, definite red card. Dangerous yeah, challenge. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone would argue with that one. Um, again, it was reckless and... Um, it's you know it's like the Pickford one you know <laughs> they're they're both terrible tackles they both should have been red carded and yeah like I said I don't think Everton can play and I think they'll just be frustrated at Richarlison for making such a stupid tackle when he didn't yeah. need to yeah um, yeah and he has since apologised to Thiago and I do believe that Thiago is not travelling to the Champions League match and haven't heard too much on what his injury is or if it's just a precaution yeah well I, I don't think he was fully fit um, anyway going into the Everton game and no. he's been sort of struggling with a little injury so yeah. I, I hope because he's a player I love to watch that is just kind of precautionary Yeah, um, we'll get on to the Sadio Mane offside and the cancellation of Liverpool's winner when we talk about VAR but we've talked heavily about the negative impact for Liverpool for Everton coming away with a point where they weren't at their best they didn't look brilliant Hamas yeah. Rodriguez struggled to get in the game They've they've kind of I think they can feel quite pleased, maybe perhaps a bit fortunate, can't they? Yeah, I mean, look, a point against your closest rivals is never really a bad result, especially when you're already three points ahead of them. Yeah. So I think in terms of Everton's league campaign, it is a good point. And, you know, it keeps them ahead for now. And it's in their hands, really. If they can keep building up these results, like I said, with Liverpool, they've got Van Dijk out, maybe they have Thiago out, Alisson already, you know, it could be tough for them to build up against Everton. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I was just, for Everton, it's, you know, they continue, I think they're unbeaten now for, yeah. um, for, what was it, five games into the season now? Yeah, I think we're at five, yeah. Um, it's, how well do you think Everton can do? Do you think they can keep that up? Um, maybe, I mean, it's, it's always going to be really tough to, you know, challenge for the title um, when there's so many good teams this year, although just looking at the results so far, no yeah. one's really been consistent apart from Everton. Um, I, I still think they should maybe be aiming towards top four. I think that that's, you know, where they should be with the yeah. kind of start they've had. But hey, you know, if they can keep putting the results together, maybe get a couple of good results against Man City or Chelsea or someone like that. Who knows? You know, crazier things have happened. Yeah, I mean, for them to really break the top five, top six, they need to be able to consistently beat those top six teams, don't they? And, yeah. You know, they didn't quite show that against Liverpool, but they are the defending champions. The probably the best team in England for the last two years yeah and I mean when Everton did play Spurs at the start of the season they looked fantastic against yeah. them and um, I mean admittedly that was a very subpar Spurs team yeah but, um, looked like <laughs> they they looked like they could have been a title challenger for about 45 minutes on, a, yeah. <laughs> on the weekend but um, get on to that later um, but now so you know I think it's, it's going to be a good season for Everton whether or not they win the title I think it's way too early to say but um, yeah. I think if they end for top four that'd be a fantastic result for them yeah, of course. Speaking of top four, top six challenges, it was Man City Arsenal later on Saturday evening. Uh, the one nil win to Man City. It was, yeah. Um, it, fairly standard run of the mill game, wasn't it? It did, yeah. You know, I, I caught the highlights. It, it kind of looked like neither team was at their sort of free flowing best. Yeah. I, I looked at some of the the tactical analysis afterwards, and it seemed to be strange shapes from both managers. Yeah. Playing players out of position, but. Um, 
I think that's what you expect with Guardiola and Arteta now. They, I mean, they know each other so well yeah. that they probably tried to, they sort of knew how each other were going to play and were saying, well, how can I switch things up, surprise him, make it tricky for them, and unpick him at the same time. And of course, uh, City came out and won that tactical battle. They did, yeah, and it was, uh, a, I thought, a bit of poor goalkeeping by Leno just to kind of palm it out to Sterling. Yeah. You know, I think maybe he should have done better there. But, um, you, you always want the keepers to really palm it wide. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That can be something to do, with, I guess, with the pace on the ball as it comes towards them. But you, you would think it palm it well wide, wouldn't you? Yeah, especially a keeper like Leno. You know, I think he's done well for us over the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, expect a bit more from him. But look, it's one nil to Man City, and that's what they need to do. I think Man City fans would be happy to get a couple more kind of, not exactly great to watch, but one nil results. You know. Yeah. Because you can't always beat teams four or five nil. No. Um, but on the plus side, Arsenal, okay, still lost, but you think they're playing better football than they have been for the last few seasons now, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, Ozil's still on the bench. He's probably got no way back in. That team's playing well. I mean, it's, what, midfielders Xhaka and El Nene? Like, yeah, they've moved towards a much more kind of hard-working midfield. Yeah. And, you know, Danny Ceballos still gets in there. But um, I think, as much as I'm a fan of Mesut Ozil, I just don't think he suits that kind of, you know, high press and really hard working, you know, yeah. box almost box to box midfielders. Yeah. He's he needs more of a free role and you just don't think he fits into that Arsenal team anymore. Yeah. yeah. perhaps we'll see him move on. I know he wants to see out his contract, but maybe we'll see him off on a free in January. Cause I believe yeah. he'll be available for a Bosman, won't he? Yeah, I think he's out of contract at the end of the year and um you know, players like him need to play football. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's a real shame that we don't get to watch him every week. Yeah. Because on his day, he is fantastic to watch. Um, but yeah, I, maybe you get a move to Turkey or something like that. But it's going to be difficult for any club to match his wages at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. But I would say pretty standard game beside that. So I guess we've got to get straight on to Sunday's big game. <laughs> Tottenham versus West Ham. Yeah, we both had that down as a three 0 win for Tottenham, but up until the forty fifth minute, or maybe perhaps even the seventy fifth minute, it looked like that was how it was going to end. It did, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I, I texted you at half time to say I thought Spurs looked like title challengers. Yeah, you know, Harry Kane looked incredible. And... Harry Kane and Son linking up again, playing fantastic football. The return of Gareth Bale, the homecoming, yeah, of the prodigal son, and West Ham sport the party. They did, yeah. Well, Spurs spoiled their own pipe, really, yeah. with, with some of their defending and just the own goal by Sanchez as well. It, it was just... I, I felt bad for Spurs. I mean, I'm not a yeah. Spurs fan, but um, I'm a fan of Mourinho. And, um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, seeing them kind of throw away a, a, a 3-0 lead like that is very uncharacteristic of that club and that manager. Yeah, it's... I mean, we'll start with Spurs first for that first half because it really was a game of two halves. West Ham weren't at it in the first half. Kane and Son were phenomenal. Oh, yeah, they, they were incredible. Yeah, as a, as a pairing, they work so well together. Kane, is, he's proving, he, he's wherever he plays, he's incredible. Yeah, it, I, it, I mean, we saw him putting in defensive blocks at the yeah. end of the first half. Like He was a, a box-to-box striker, I think Jamie Carragher called him. It, you know, it was a, an incredible all-round performance. And he's just showing that he is more than just a, a number nine that's going to score. Yeah. Got, I mean, more than a number nine that's going to score 30 goals. Like, the, not every player can score 30 goals, but yeah. he could score 30 and assist 20 <laughs> the way yeah. he started. He's, um, and you feel like he could have scored more as well. I, I know later on in the game, Kane hit the post. Could, 
it did feel he was hunting for his hat trick towards the end. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, which actually may have hindered Tottenham, potentially. There were a couple of chances we think that shooting might not have been the best opportunity, best opportunity to do so or might not have been the right choice. And I think that maybe hindered Spurs. But you've got to say that whole team's second half, which was West Ham's half, Tottenham definitely took their foot off the gas, didn't they? They did, yeah. And, and it's easy to do when you're 3-0 up, you know. It's very rare that you need to go searching for a fourth goal because yeah. you know a lot of teams won't score three against you. But it it was I think you had it right. They took the foot off the gas. One as clinical as they should have been, and one as maybe solid defensively. Maybe they should have cleared the ball a bit more. Yeah, um, they should have done better. And I think Gareth Bale as well at the end had the chance to win it. Yeah. <laughs> you think Gareth Bale, who if he had come to Tottenham fit and had had game time at Real Madrid beforehand, I think he scores that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to him, it was a really great run by him. Yeah. You know, he made the defender look non-existent. Yeah. He just lacked a finish. And yeah. I think in a couple of weeks, when he's, you know, got more game time, Spurs will be really dangerous. Yeah. Oh, it's... In the meantime, the most dangerous thing about that Spurs side in the second half was their own defence. I mean, so... First of all, I think Moussa Sissoko, I think, lost his mar- the man who's marking, Balbuena, who... Knocks in a relatively simple header. Yeah. And you think, okay, it's 3-1. And then probably within the space of about five, six minutes, Davinson Sanchez, with one of the worst defensive headers I've ever seen, scores an own goal. Yeah. <laughs> I can understand why he's made that header. Yeah. I can, that sort of header is just putting it out behind for a corner because the way that his, his momentum is carrying him, the flight of the ball, it, that's the only place he can go comfortably. That's an acceptable header to make when you're in front of the front post. Yeah. When you're behind it, when you're nearly on top of your goalkeeper, don't do it. Yeah, no, it's, it's the, the wrong time to try and try a header like that. He was, he was asking for an own goal, really. Yeah. You know, even, you know, Jamie Carragher was on commentary and he was a specialist at own goals. And even yeah. he seemed confused by what Sanchez was doing. Yeah. And that really put Tottenham under pressure, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Um it's the last thing you want to do is give away a really cheap goal like that because you know with you know two or three minutes to go West Ham are going to throw everything at you when it's only one goal yeah and when it is one goal it is only one goal you know yeah it's it is just an equaliser waiting to happen and when they did get it I mean what a goal by Lanzini it, it was a screamer wasn't it it's, yeah Lanzini's one of those players who over the last few seasons has maybe not been in the picture as much as he used to be at West Ham maybe one of those players who's seen he's had, he's had some trouble with injuries I yeah. think yeah. and he, I mean we always knew he had quality about him and because he showed that when he first came to West Ham but my word what a goal yeah I mean, I mean early goal of the season contender yeah. but it was, it was beautiful to watch it was one of those strikes where as soon as it hit it yeah, you he, just knew it was going in the top corner Larice did get a hand to it but do you think any there's any keeper who could have saved that, or do you think no, fingertips I mean, was the best you could do? I think with he's that? done well to get a hand to it. To be honest, I think it was it was that good a strike, and yeah. you know I think all goalkeepers, you know, all goalkeepers all like to think they could have saved it. Yeah, but I think you just got to hold your hands up. It was a brilliant goal. Yeah, and I mean for Tottenham, a real blow, you know, sucker punch for West Ham. Joy, that's what seven points out of their last three games or something like that. Yeah, that they've really turned it around. They looked awful the first game yeah. of the season, but um, you know they 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 did well. They've really turned it around, and I you know we put them down for relegation earlier in the year. But maybe mid-table, 
comfortably, yeah. maybe. Yeah, if they keep this sort of form up. Yeah, and and they've shown a lot of spirit as well to come back in that game. Yeah, I know a lot of it was kind of Spurs' fault, but yeah, you know, considering what's been going on off the pitch of West Ham, yeah, which that must impact about, the players. Yeah, and to kind of show that spirit to fight back from three 0 down shows that maybe in that squad they can pull together and kind of work towards something despite what's going on off the pitch. Yeah, and luckily for them and for Tottenham, VAR was not needed at any point. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's do VAR. Yeah. As we, as we said in the intro, we, VAR's been reasonably quiet yeah. over the beginning of the Premier League. And then Everton-Liverpool happens. So, first incidents with VAR was the first call for offside that led to the Van Dijk injury. Mm-hmm. Now, as we said, there's been no retrospective a- action for Pickford. VAR supposedly took a look at the Pickford challenge, but decided because there was an offside, nothing could be done about the Pickford challenge. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> that is dangerous play. If a player went in, if the, if a whistle's blown, and then in that period before players restarted, a player took a running, leaping, two-footed jump at an opponent, you would send him off. Yeah. This is a similar scenario. Okay, it's a split-second fine margin between the whistle going and Pitford doing it, but it's still a dangerous challenge. He studs up at knee height. Yeah, no, it was an awful tackle, like we said earlier, and... I mean, I just can't believe they've not sent him off. You know, I yeah. mean, I don't know what the the word of the rule is in the in the referee handbook, but if if that by the rules isn't a red card, then the rules should be changed. Because yeah. I think everyone watching that went, "That's not right. You should have been sent off." He's 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 taken Van Dijk out for a season. Yeah, you know, and you shouldn't be able to get away with that because he was offside by two millimeters. Yeah, it's <laughs> I mean fine margins on the off offside call anyway. Yeah. Um, I, well, the Van Dyke one was probably a little more clear cut than the Mane offside, but yeah, yeah, but it's still, it's the main issue. I think the main grievance for Liverpool fans is VAR didn't make a decision on that tackle. Yeah, like if the ref's not seen it, I you have to make the call. If the ref's seen it, then it's a, it must be a clear and obvious mistake, surely. And yeah. that it's in literally when VAR was brought in, it said we will only use it for clear and obvious mistakes. There's one, you didn't do anything. Yeah, it, it was a real failure of VAR, which, like I said, I think we both thought he's done better this season. Yeah. But that, that's one of those, like, why, why is the ref not going and looking at the monitor? Like, yeah. surely he must have someone in his ear saying, like, oh, it's, it's a bad challenge or whatever, you know, have a look at it. But is it just because they were only looking at the offside and they weren't even considering whether it should have been a red card? Mm. It's just... It's just... It begs belief. Like, I, I, I just... I think, you know, they should just admit they made a mistake and say yeah. it won't happen again instead of trying to act like they did the right thing. Yeah. And then the second call, the which robbed Liverpool of the three points, saw them leaving Goodison Park with only a point, Sadio Mane offside. Was it offside? Do you, do you, in your uh, opinion, do you think it was offside? I mean, by my eyes, looking at the photo they've shown, I can't tell. You know, the official word is, I think it was quite literally a couple of millimetres he was over. But for me, I think I think the offside rule should be changed for that. Because the way we're doing it, we're looking at it in such a microscopic level. Like we never could before. Like I think there needs to be more nuance to it. Because yeah. I don't think anyone wants to see that goal disallowed. No. You know, I, I, except I mean, Everton fans. Except Everton fans. But anyone who's watched football or played football looks at that and goes, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like these are footballers. They're not... 
going to get a tape measure out and go, oh no, I'm two millimetres offside, I've got to go back here. Like, come on now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> for two millimetres, and this line was drawn from about the elbow sort of lower bicep. Now, what frustrates me is how that's linked to the handball rule. Because if the ball hits that part of the arm, it's a handball. Therefore, you cannot, in, within the game, legally play the ball with that part of the body. So, if the offside rule is any part that can legally play the body, which excludes the hands and arms, how can it be drawn as the offside line? Because legally, you cannot play the ball with that body. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's, it's strange. I think there's been a lot of confusion about the handball rule. I know, I think they released some photos saying that maybe it's below the elbow now or whatever, but I, I think everyone's a little confused. And Look, I, I just think it's ridiculous. I think there should be more of a, a leeway with offsides. I think you maybe you should have to be offside by a certain amount instead of just one millimetre or whatever. Yeah. I know Arsene Wenger's, Arsene Wenger sorry, has said some strange stuff in the past about offside, but... I think it needs to be looked at and yeah. you know, I don't know why we have the same rule for offside when we're giving it a lot more scrutiny and have a much different way of looking at it now yeah. with VAR, you know. We've added VAR, so let's change the rules to be better because at the end of the day, if you give the attacker more of an advantage, you're just gonna see more goals scored. I mean And we wanna see more yeah. goals scored. I mean the telling point is I didn't see any Everton defenders protesting for an offside when the ball came into Mane. Yeah. In fact, they all stayed focused, looked to defend. Because I, I don't think... Because they probably didn't consider it offside. Yeah. And if VAR is for clear and obvious errors, do you think that two millimetres is clear and obvious? Um, No. Well, like I said, when I, when I looked at it, I, I still can't tell that he's offside. Yeah. So, you know, it, it seems strange that we're just doing it to such a robotic level. Yeah, it's... It's microsco- microscopic levels. I just don't understand how... You know, people can say last season Liverpool got a lot of VAR calls and got lucky. Well, I, the thing is they didn't, though. Because if you actually look at the stats, Liverpool actually lost more goals through VAR than a lot of other teams. I've, yeah. I've, I've looked at it because people always bring it up and I see it on Twitter, you know. They actually didn't do that well from VAR. And a lot of teams did better than them. Yeah. It's... But... It baffles me how these mistakes are still being made. If the mistakes were there the first season, something needed to be changed to rectify it to make the rules clearer. Yeah. And I don't think they've done that, like we say with the handball linking to offside. If that is illegal in uh, open play, if you can't play it off the elbow or the bicep in open play, you cannot use that as a marker for offside. Yeah. There's no benefit to having your arm past the defender at that yeah. point yeah exactly like how many goals are, even if you do say like okay that part of the arms is alright how many goals are scored with someone's shoulder you know yeah. hardly any anyway you know it, it just it just seems like they're so preoccupied with making sure everything lines up that they're not actually thinking about what's better for football or what's more entertaining for the fans and it just I don't know it, it just seems like they need to change either the offside rule or, or how VAR is implemented do, do you think the the referees union or the VAR team at Stockley Park or whoever or the FA needs to make a statement to clear it up because I know that Liverpool have asked the FA to review um, how VAR is implemented in football and particularly their two decisions because of course they would like yeah. make sense do you think that the FA have sort of need to do that now they have to they have to answer that. Yeah, I, I think they do. Um, I think everyone kind of complains that the FA 
are always trying to be overprotective of referees. You yeah. know, they've done it for years now where a ref's made a clear error and they've kind of still backed them up. Like, no, people make mistakes. You've got to come out and admit you made a mistake and explain why it's not going to happen again. Like, just because you're the FA and you have no one to really challenge you, like, that doesn't make it okay just to brush it under the carpet. Yeah. Like, something's gone wrong. How are you going to fix it? I mean, with the FA already under heat because of Project Big Picture, which was turned out, thrown out even, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. It turned um, out to be a bit of a, a damp squib at the end. Kind of, yeah. Nothing it, came out of it. Nothing really happened. It was, here's an idea. Nope, see you later. Oh, okay then. Yeah. Which was good, yeah, thankfully. Yeah, very good, yeah. Um, do you think they will avoid it to try and avoid heat? Because if they make a statement and it's wrong, or viewed as wrong by the fans, players, clubs... Yeah. It puts them under more heat. Do you think they might let it cool for a couple of weeks? Potentially. Um, look, the, the FA rarely acts in the, the best way for the fans. So, but yeah, whatever they do, it won't surprise me. Um, yeah, I, I think they'll just brush this under the carpet and when it happens again, they'll just ignore it again, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, hopefully we don't see any of it in the Champions League. Or have they have they removed VAR from Champions League or are they still using no, it? No, they're still using it, I'm pretty sure. Oh, wonderful. So do keep an ear out. We probably will have more on VAR in the coming months. So before we get into the Champions League, something I want to talk about is fans in stadiums. Yeah. We've been seeing it now for a while that fans, they want to be back in Premier League stadiums, Championship stadiums, League 1, League 2. For EFL teams, that is vastly important because they don't have the same TV right money. Yeah, it's their biggest revenue stream for a lot of them. Do you think that at a domestic level, not an international level because there's the risks associated with travel and quarantining and stuff like that, but in domestic level, should the FA and the EFL work together to try and get fans back into the stadium as soon as possible with the government. How should they do it? I think so, yeah. Um, I think they have to. Um, if they're not going to have like a financial bailout for the clubs, they need to give them a way to get money back into their, their kind of revenue streams. And I think letting fans into the stadium, obviously in a socially distanced way, is how you have to do it. You know, I think a lot of clubs can do it quite comfortably. Yeah. You know, like you know, my club, you know, if I go out of an 18,000 seat stadium, normally get crowds of like 10, 11,000, you know, you could probably do that across the whole stadium if you've socially distanced it. Yeah. You know, it's, and I don't think it's that difficult even for the smaller clubs, you know, to get fans in, in a safe way. I you know they've trialed it in certain kind of tests and I think it can be done. I think the only question is why isn't it being done? Yeah. And quite frankly, I don't know why. Because obviously, like we said, for the Champions League, it couldn't happen. The risks of, you know, going a group of people from England going to Spain or Spain yeah, to yeah. Italy Italy to wherever and then coming back to the home it just that's havoc potentially with testing yeah. and quarantining places being on the uh, quarantine list or the no fly list or but certainly at domestic level particularly with uh, Premier League games now having been charging fans £15 for yeah, a match which frankly yes is ridiculous by the way you, how yeah. dare you yeah you, <laughs> like that's ridiculous if you're going to charge fans 15 quid, let them into a stadium for £15 I know some of you Premier League teams want to charge 70 quid, 60 quid, whatever for a, for a ticket you're charging 15 quid on TV after people already pay for TV subscriptions to watch you play yeah it, it is a stupid decision and 
just shows, I think, out of, how out of touch, you know, the Premier League and whoever's making that decision is. Because, you know, the fans just want to be in the stadium. Like, just let, yeah. let them pay the money, whatever it is, to go in. Like, if you can do it. We all know you can do it. The, yeah. the science shows that it can be done. Yeah. Why aren't you doing it? So, let's try and solve it for them, shall we? What do you think? Well, what do we think? The armchair managers... Let's be the armchair stadium developers for a couple of minutes. <laughs> what would you say is needed to successfully implement letting fans back into the stadium? First of all, we've got to say face masks have to be mandatory. Yeah, don't yeah. They? I, th- I think the general kind of social distancing and what, what most people are doing already, you know, face masks, the two metre rule, you know, anti-bacterial yeah, hand wash available everywhere. Yeah. That all has to be done. I mean, it, should be do- be doing- it should be done anyway, wherever yeah. you are. So that all has to be um, mandatory. Yeah. And I think the only real risk is getting people in and out of the stadium in a in a way that you don't have people, you know, crowded in turnstiles. Yeah. And for me, I think that's just a simple case of, you know how many tickets are sold. You don't yeah. do pay on the day. Everyone has to order a ticket beforehand. Yeah. And you just stagger the entrance times. Yeah. So, you know, you have a ticket, you get a message, you need to be here at... I don't know, 1pm to get into the stadium and that's your slot to get in. Yeah. If you do it that way, you avoid crowding and sure, leaving the stadium, some people are going to have to wait. It's going to take longer than normal. Yeah. But I think people would rather wait and leave the stadium later than not get into the stadium I mean, they'd have to do it if they were driving home anyway, wouldn't they? Like, you look at the bigger clubs, you know, when you're trying to leave, drive, there's congestion all over almost any city on match day. I've tried getting out of a lot of football clubs, a lot of grounds. The the traffic to get out of like these small small clubs is horrific. They're in the middle of town centres, you know. I, waiting is not a bad thing. So a stagger, you know, that helps with the traffic in long term as well, doesn't it? Yeah, so, maybe we should do that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that would help. Um, in terms of seating in the stadium, I think you've got to look at person in the seat, two seat gap, person yeah. in the seat, two seat gap, and then the row behind them will have to be, I think, empty. Yeah. So there's a row gap between each row, and then one every maybe two seats, or you can yeah. sit together if you are a family cluster. Yeah, potentially, but that maybe overcomplicates things from like yeah. how you arrange it. So yeah, but um, I think that's more of a nuanced thing. But I yeah. do agree, you gotta have the space between the seats. Yeah. Maybe you can work away of spacing it diagonally, so you don't have to miss out a whole row. Yeah. But if you had to miss out a whole row, that's fine anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's better than having no one there. You know. Yeah. It's. I mean, you certainly have to separate, like, obviously, family zones for people who didn't yeah, want to sit yeah. together, people who are taking young children. So setting up strict zones and areas um, would certainly help. Um, obviously, safe standing, I know it's been talked about a lot, would have to just be put on hold. Yeah, no yeah, chance you, of safe standing. You can't standing. do a standing one. You need, it needs to be seated. Yeah. Um, or, you know, if it's going to be standing, it needs to have some way of, innate, of forcing social distance. Um, I'm not sure how exactly you do that. Maybe you, you know, tie places off. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think seating is how you'd have to do it. Yeah, and the concession stands under stadiums. You know, if you want your traditional football pie, or down here in the southwest, a pasty, are they still going to be able to run safely? Do you think it's not exactly a lot of space under the stadium, is it? No, and I mean it depends on the stadium, but um, usually there isn't. Um, who knows? Maybe it could be a system where you stay in your seat and. Maybe there's an app or something you can go on to order something yeah. and you get something sent up to you. How you do that, I, I don't know. It's, that seems a bit more complicated, but maybe you just don't have concessions at all, you know? 
it, yeah. at the end of the day maybe that has to be the sacrifice you know because it's too complicated to sort out but yeah I, th- I think people put up for that you know yeah I know I'd rather sit there and watch the football and be a bit hungry than you know not be there at all yeah because <laughs> I couldn't get a pasta you know it's it's uh, I think I think that's the least of people's concerns yeah I mean it's obviously a big logistical challenge but I think surely people are paid to do that that must yeah. be something they can work out yeah I think like I mean Look, we're far from experts on this subject, but I can't think of anything super obvious that's wrong about what we just said, or yeah. that couldn't be done. And I'm sure people smarter than us can figure out a way of doing it. And I mean, you look at grassroots football. You know, I for very I go to some grassroots football matches, and you can have crowds there, and they're not really socially distanced or anything. And it's you know, there's not been any big COVID blow up from that. So if you're doing it in a much better way in professional stadiums. Yeah, like it's going to be incredibly safe, isn't it? it? Yeah, because people are going to be so heightened anyway to make sure it's safe. That I just think it it's, seems like something that has to be done. Yeah, because the COVID's not going away anytime soon. No, and it, if it lasts for another six months, then yeah, clubs are going to go out of business. That, that's a fact. Particularly Championship, League One, League Two, with winter coming up, the bills are going to go up. Just electric, yeah. heating, that sort of thing. They need that revenue and. In uh, as soon as possible, yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully we're going to see that soon, and not see in another case of Berry. Yeah, like we'd, that would be tragic. Yeah, and it would be awful. Yeah. Right. Now that we've got the uh, Premier League extra charges off our chests, let's talk about. Let's look forward to the week of football. Let's try and enjoy. It. We've got the Champions yeah, League coming back. Let's get the rants over and get more positive. Yeah. <laughs> let's Champions League. Everyone. Likes the Champions League. Everyone enjoys Champions League. Yeah, it's you know to have European football back is always a bonus. It was always, I think, it was always going to be tricky to get it going again with the global situation, various places being on uh, no-fly list, quarantine list. So doing yeah. it, the fact that they deem that they can do this safely and not get fans into the stadium is yeah, it's, it's <laughs> nice to see, isn't it? It's good to see if a little confusing in yeah. the current time. But um, look, happy to have it back. Looking forward to watching it. Yeah. So, before we get ahead, obviously there's some big games in the Champions League. Every game is a big game in the Champions League. So, what we thought we'd do is try and predict the winners from each group. Yeah, get, get our kind of... sounds like doing a league prediction, but yeah. uh, for a lot, a lot of mini leagues. I mean, some of the groups you look at, I think, are fairly obvious. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are a little bit closer. Um, and it really depends on, I think, the form of the team at the time. Some of them, you know, you just look at the names and you know it's going to be them. Yeah, yeah, like, definitely. Group A, for example, what better place to start in the first group? Yeah. Is, uh, group A consists of Atletico Madrid, Bayern Munich, Lokomotiv Moscow and Red Bull Salzburg. Now, I think when you talk in terms of quality, you have to say it's going to be Bayern and Atletico going through, don't you? Yeah, I, th- I think it would take a very brave or stupid person to disagree with that. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it seems very obvious. Um, I mean, no disrespect to uh, Salzburg or Lokomotiv Moscow, but... Um, Bayern and Atletico have great pedigree in this competition. Yeah. And if they don't get through, it'll be a, a huge shock and disappointment for them. Yeah, and Bayern, I mean, like I said, they dominate their league. They are the financial superpower in their league. They basically can buy whoever they want, a lot like City. Um, Salzburg have the potential to be a thorn in the side, but not much more than that. Yeah. I mean, they've been picked apart a little bit with Minamino and um, Erling Haaland as well. Yeah, and Huang Hee Chan now gone to Leipzig. Yeah. Um, 
with it. It's, yeah, you don't can't look past Madrid or Bayern, can you really? Yeah, but who, who do you think will be the, the top spot of that group? I think it has to be Bayern. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I yeah. mean, they do. Are they, they are the holders of the competition. Yeah. It's hard to bet against them. And yeah, I think Bayern in first and Madrid in second. Yeah. So, obviously now Group A puts bed. Who are we looking at in Group B? Yeah, I think it's kind of the same sort of situation. Um, I suspect it will be um, Real Madrid and Inter Milan going out with um, yeah. Much and Gladbach and Shakhtar Donetsk missing out. And I, I guess um, Mitch and Gladbach would probably go into the Europa League. Yeah. I mean, Shakhtar, again, are a tricky, tricky team. Um, I, I, I'm tempted to say Real will finish in first. Like, again, I, I suspect so, yeah. The, the dominating team in Spain. Also, great Champions League pedigree. Mm-hmm. Um, Inter Milan under Conte with the signings they made look a strong side. But yeah. I mean, Lukaku's in red-hot form. Um, yeah, got to the Europa League final last season. Yeah. But Mönchengladbach have always been one of those teams that could do it. Yeah, they're a decent team. Um, yeah. I actually think going into the Europa League might not be bad for them. They might have an actual shot at going fairly far yeah. into that competition. But um, yeah, I think Inter Milan and Madrid should go through. Madrid yeah. should top the group. But you know, who knows, if Milan end up in the Europa League and Mönchengladbach go into second, could be a chance for Milan to win the Europa League again. Yeah, it would be a shock if Gladbach snuck in ahead of Milan, but I think if yeah. Milan lose a couple of players to injury and have a bit of a bad time, then it could happen. Yeah, potentially, but, but yeah. I, think, I think we're both pretty Madrid and yeah, Inter Milan Madrid should go through. Yeah. Uh, Group C, now this is a tricky one for second place. I mean, we can almost guarantee that Man City are going through. Yeah. You'd expect that unless Pep decides to fiddle his tactics again. Yeah, but I mean, even he couldn't screw it up over <laughs> over the multiple games, I wouldn't have thought. No, but it, it, second place is really a toss-up between Marseille and Porto, and Olympiacos have the potential to do it, obviously, a Euro, as a European force. They, you know, they're, yeah, they're pretty good, They're yeah. a strong side, and they've always had some kind of re- reasonably good history. Um, so it's really tough to say second place, isn't it? Yeah, it is difficult, you know. I think Marseille and Porto are... are Fairly even sides. I, I think their games will actually be really good to watch. There's sort of two teams that will, you know, whoever wins their matches will probably end up in second. Yeah. Um, for me, I think I might actually go with Porto. Um, this year. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I just, I just, I like I like Porto. I think they're they're a great club. They've had some good games against Liverpool in the last couple of group stages. I think. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, I, I, I like Marseille as well, but for me, I, I'm going to back Porto to go through with Man City. See, I'm going to back Marseille. I mean, again, Marseille used to be a European powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it seems to be that teams that have a history of performing well in Europe tend to keep that up, even when their team maybe isn't what it once was. Mm-hmm. I think Marseille could do that. Um, Porto, again, another team with great European history, but... Oh, I don't know, I just fancy Marseille for second, I think. Yeah, no, I think it is a bit of a toss-up between the two of them. Um, but I think that is definitely one of the groups to watch, though. Yeah, certainly. Um, group D. Yeah, it's, it's another one where I think, you know, we both agree that um, out of this, you know, we've got Ajax, Atalanta, Liverpool and... Um, Michelin, I think Michelin. Do you, want, do you want to have a go at that one? <laughs> started reading them and I didn't realise I'd have to try and pronounce that. Um but no, I think we would both agree that Liverpool should probably win that group. I know they've got a lot of injuries right now. Yeah. But, you know, Liverpool, again, great European pedigree. Won it two years ago. Um, and, you know, I think should top it. But then there's kind of the tricky question of 
Quebec Atalanta, who maybe don't have the greatest pedigree in the competition, but did very well the last couple of years. Yeah. And Ajax, who have fantastic pedigree, but have maybe lost a lot of star players of the yeah. last or two transfer windows. And um, personally for me, I think I'd go with Atalanta. I think Ajax, you know, they're always going to be a great side, but maybe they need, a, you know, another season or two to get the, the next kind of crop of talented players up to the Champions League standard. Yeah, I would, I mean, obviously I agree with Liverpool, being a Liverpool fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to back Ajax. For the players they got left from their sort of golden crop of players that they had a couple of season. I still think that Dusan Tadic and David Neres are going to link up well. Um, I think Daley Blind's experience is going to be vital. And again, Ajax is one of those teams that kind of have a bit of a monopoly on the Dutch league. Yeah. If they want a play, if they really want the player, they'll probably get him. So I would see due to that, I think they've made some signings that will really help. And I, th- I do think they'll go through. I think it'll be tight between them and Atlanta. And obviously, Mitchelland are just going to be whipping boys. Yeah, I feel, I feel a bit sorry for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes in the Champions League. It's not though. an easy group for them, is it? No, but an entertaining one. Yeah. Um, group E sees Frank Lampard's Chelsea take on Krasnodar, Stadren and Sevilla. Yeah. Um, Chelsea and Sevilla, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's, I think it's hard to go against them. You know, Sevilla won the Europa League, specialists in that competition. Yeah. And they make the step up to the Champions League. I, I don't think they'll go on to win it, but I definitely think they should get out of their group. Particularly against Krasnodar and Ren, who are... Ren lost uh, Rafinha to Leeds, who was they sort did, of one yeah. of their key players. And they had a, a great season last season to actually get in the Champions League. Yeah. And they've got uh, Kamavinga as well, who's an incredible young talent. Yeah. Um, he's in the French national team. But, yeah. Um, I think he, as good as he is, he probably, he probably can't carry them <laughs> yeah. out of this group. He is a tough one. Um, do you expect him to still be there come January? Who knows? You know, there's talks of maybe Man United's coming in for him if Paul Pogba decides to go to Real Madrid or something. But um, who knows? You know, if they're still in the Champions League come January, if they do get out of this group, then, you know, maybe maybe that he will stay. But um, yeah. he's definitely one that, over the next couple of years, will most likely end up at a, you know, a big European club. Yeah. But um, no, I agree. Chelsea and Zabir um, out of this one. Yeah. Uh, group F is another one where it's probably a bit of a toss-up for second place. We'd fully expect Dortmund to go through in first. Yeah. But then second is sort of a fight between Lazio, Club Bruges and Zenit St. Petersburg. You would expect Lazio. Yeah, I think Lazio would be slight favourites to um, get out into that group in second place. But, you know, Zenit and Bruges are not bad sides. No. It's kind of... Um, I could I could definitely see one of them overtaking Lazio to get through. But yeah. um, I, I I will actually back Lazio still. Yeah, I maybe I'm going to back Zenit. I think it's we don't see a lot of Russian football. No. Um. So it's di- really difficult to say. But Zenit have always been a tricky team. Yeah. Um. So and I think that some teams may go to Russia in the winter and find that cold that they play in all season or most of their season a tricky thing to deal with yeah you know it, is, it can always be a tr- uh, tough away trip yeah. um, going to the Russian teams but uh, yeah I, I personally I still back Lazio but um, I could definitely see one of the other two getting in yeah I mean it's, it's going to be a toss up but interesting group yeah, to watch I get a couple of interesting groups this year 
it's not just you know the big teams going up against small teams. There there is a bit of you know who's going to finish second. Yeah, I mean Group G is probably yeah. the easiest <laughs> yeah. group. Speaking to of big teams going up against small teams, uh, we've got Barcelona, Juventus, Dynamo Kiev, and. Beren Savros? Uh, that's probably definitely not how you pronounce that. Yeah, we do. I'm not even going to attempt it because I'm not sure. Um, so we do apologise if we butchered that. Yeah, any... uh, definitely. I, I can barely speak English. So. Ferenc Var- Varos T supporters? We... Sorry. Sorry. I, I suspect none of you are listening, but yeah. if you are, our apologies. I mean, if you didn't like that, you're going to hate this. You're coming bottom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what country that is. Um, I mean, the the most interesting thing about this group is going to be who scores more: Barca, uh, Barca and Leo Messi, or Juventus and Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Yeah. The most interesting game will be Barcelona versus Juventus. Yeah, and Barcelona even at the the low ebb that they are right now with everything that's gone on in the last sort of season and Messi wanting to leave. Even that, I don't think will no. lead to them missing out on the group. But. Do you think that Juve will top the group over Barca? Because I think Juve, you've got two star-studded teams, but Juve have their talismanic player in Ronaldo, mm-hmm. who, want, who, as far as we know, still wants to be there, still wants to play, still wants to succeed. Barca have a star-studded team that's been a bit shaky, but their talisman doesn't really want to be there anymore. Yeah, um, I think it could definitely play a factor, and I, I would back Juventus to um, win that group. I think they do have just a better team overall right now. And, you know, Messi has some commitment issues. You know, I had a rumour that he's potentially going to look to move on in January. Um, if that happens, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I think you y- Juve in first and Barca in second. With, um, I suspect, probably Dynamo Kiev coming in third. Yeah. And then the other one in fourth. Yeah. <laughs> um, final group, Group H. You've got Istanbul, Basak, Sekir. Well, uh, that, <laughs> easy I'm, for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, rather a large mouthful. Um, and with Man United, PSG, and Red Bull Leipzig. Now, first place, got to say, has to be PSG. Yeah, I mean, last year's finalists, you'd expect them to at least get out of the group, if not go, you know, to the same stage again. Yeah, second place could be a little bit tough though. I think you can probably count Istanbul, Basak Sekir out. Yeah, I think um, in another group, maybe they could have finished third or something. But um, I think definitely bottom of this group. Yeah. And then who do you think second or third is either going to be either Manchester United or Red Bull Leipzig? I'm tempted to say Leipzig because United play well once in a blue moon. Yeah, and Leipzig did well last year to um, go as far as they did. Obviously, no Timo Werner now, but they have replaced him. Yeah. Um, And I I think they're top of the Bundesliga right now. Yeah, and Man United are definitely not top of the Premier League. No, so, um, I could definitely see Leipzig going into second, but I think Man United might be slightly favoured going up against these teams that are maybe better than them, because you know Oli with that United team loves to play on the counter attack. Yeah, so it might actually benefit them to go up against teams that are either as good, if not better than them. Yeah, and maybe that could actually see them getting some better results. Um, so. Uh, for me, I'm actually going to back United, um, which is something I very rarely do. Um, but I, you know, I do think they'll finish second for the reasons I just said. But I think PSG will win the group, and Leipzig will go down to the Europa League. 
which I think might benefit Leipzig because they could have a real shot at winning that competition. Yeah, potentially. I mean, we'll have to see. I mean, who would you put down as your winner this season? Those like early, it's not started. That's an early one. Um, I mean, just going off last season, I, I think it's really hard to look past Bayern. They were so good. I don't think anyone really got close to them last year. They haven't really lost any players, and they and they've just strengthened. Yeah, you know, Leroy Sané and people like that have come in. So for me, it's got to be Bayern Munich. Yeah, I, I'm almost in agreement with you, but I still think that PSG might. I would, the attack force as it just gets better. Yeah, Mbappe just gets better. Neymar, one of the top players in the world. Di Maria, we know, is a star player. Their defenders still. They've lost Thiago Silva, of course. But the defenders they do have Tilo Kera, Marquinhos, uh, Pim, Kimpembe. Kimpembe, yeah. They are ju- they're young and they're just going to get better. Yeah, and I mean they were happy to let Thiago Silva go, so yeah. obviously they feel like they they're in better shape about him. Yeah, so I mean I think PSG this season could be with the shout. Um, Bayern only really strengthen their attack. Yeah. Um, which means they're still. I mean, they've still got a strong defence. Pavard, Nicholas Soule. Yeah, David Alaba. David yeah. Alaba now will come to a centre-back. Alfonso Davies. I mean, Jerome Boateng. Maybe a bit past it in reserve. Yeah. But... And I mean, when you've got Manuel Neuer in, in, in goal, yeah. you're always going to give yourself a chance against anyone. Yeah, but I think... I, I'd like to see PSG do it, I think. I think, but it probably okay. will be Bayern. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm, just, I'm backing Bayern 100% this year. Yeah, and um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a repeat of the the final being Bayern yeah. against PSG. Um, I think, yeah, I I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. Champions League always throws up shocks. Yeah. Um, so just have to look forward to it. And wait and see. Yep. Right. Well, what's the final part of the show? It's back to the Premier League as always. We've only picked out two sort of key games. Yeah, this week. a bit of a quieter week in terms of the Premier League fixtures. Yeah, and no real sort of headline, sort of top six. Yeah. Too much, but the two games we have picked do involve, in almost you know, stark comparison to what I've just said, can <laughs> have who you consider four of the contenders for the top six. Yeah. So we'll start off with Saturday with Man United versus Chelsea. Yeah, that that is a big game. Yeah. Um, and it's two teams that maybe haven't had the starts to the season they would have wanted. Uh, you know, Chelsea and the Lampard have looked great going forward, but very vulnerable at the back. And Man United have been all, all over the place. You know, yeah. scored four goals at Newcastle the other day, but conceded six to Spurs the game before that. So you don't really know what kind of team United are, are going to put out. Yeah. Um, that said, and um, going against what I said earlier, that I, I rarely back United. Um, I think this week I actually do think they'll do well. I think when United um, do get to play um, the bigger teams and they can try and counter-attack them, they do well. And for that reason, I think I'm going to go with a a 2-0 to uh, Man United. Yeah, I mean, I agree with your analysis of both teams. I've got to say I think it's going to be 2-1 to Chelsea because United are still vulnerable at the back and everyone says, oh, Maguire's fine because he scored a goal against Newcastle. No, no, no. I, I do agree with that. I think when, Man United do have big problems when when they come up against a team that is going to attack them, like Chelsea does, with a fast striker like Timo Werner and some creative players behind them. 
Kai Havertz, I believe Hakim Ziyech is back. Yeah, I think he's not he, quite fit, he's but close. he's getting there. Yeah. Um, Jorginho can split a defence with the right pass, although he does like to go sideways, a bit safe. Kante has the ability to drive at defences. Um, I think United's defence is going to struggle. I think so. I think I think they might concede a couple of goals. Um, I know I said two 0 but uh, I might change that to a two one or something. Um, uh, but I, I I think honestly, just looking at the last kind of quarter of an hour against Newcastle when they did play on the counter attack, they looked fantastic. Um, and it's very rare that you say that about this United team going forward. But yeah, I think they'll definitely score goals. They might concede a couple, but for me, I'm just going to go two one to United. Yeah, I mean. So I'm going to be 2-1 to Chelsea on that one. I, I just don't see United's defence doing too well against the pacey attack. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, then Sunday we picked out Arsenal versus Leicester. Yeah, two teams potentially going for the top four. Yeah, Leicester with a lot of injuries yeah, to key players. Lost a couple over the last uh, few games. I mean, um, I've got to say, just based on that, I've got to say 2 no Arsenal personally. Like, Yeah, um, I'm actually going to go 3-1 to Arsenal. Um, I've said a, a lot over the weeks that I do like this Arsenal team and I think with the injuries Leicester have you know they don't have the biggest squad and I, I think Arsenal will turn up and definitely want to get the three points after losing to City and prove that they can beat the teams they're competing with yeah. so yeah I'll, I'll go 3-1 to Arsenal yeah, I mean, I, yeah I'll, I'll back Arsenal for this one they do look a lot better as a team Aubameyang's in good form but yeah it, with the injuries that Leicester have got uh, yeah, I just don't see them. Yeah, it, it's a it's a tough ask for them. Um, but you know, who knows? Maybe it could be a Brendan Rodgers masterclass. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I think they'll do well to come away with a point. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's in Rodgers' mind with the injuries he's got. I mean, you don't like to see your team go out there and play for a draw, but it might have to be the case because I I don't feel like there's much of a goal threat with Kelechi and Acho. Yeah, um, when Vardy doesn't play, they definitely miss his goals. Yeah, like, significantly. He's he's been one of the best strikers in the league for the last few seasons. So yeah, to lose him is, you know, is tr- spells trouble. Madison not quite fit on the bench at the moment. Maybe doesn't fit a slightly changed system. Again, his creativity, they're missing something, and I think it, they'll really struggle. Yeah, no, I I'd agree, and um, I think it'll be a good watch though. I could definitely see couple goals in there and um, yeah it'll be a I think another good week of football obviously Champions League starts as well which will be interesting yeah it's going to be a busy week for football isn't it <laughs> it will be yeah a lot of games and hopefully we'll all be able to keep up so again comes to the end of the episode thank you so much for listening do catch up with us on Twitter which our Twitter handle will be in the description on this podcast yeah, episode as always yeah so thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time <laughs>